0: Girls5Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other eligible categories.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope
0: with Victoria Cash.
1: Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.
0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 71 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is Robert Wagner, the legendary star of film and TV who's now 86 years old and still going strong. Over the course of our conversation, Wagner, who goes by RJ, talks about his experiences growing up around Hollywood and movie stars. His years as a contract player during Hollywood's golden age at Daryl F. Zanuck's 20th Century Fox, where he starred in films like With a Song in My Heart, What Price Glory, Broken Lance, and A Kiss Before Dying. And during which he married, for the first of two times, the great actress Natalie Wood. He also talks about his transition to television, which wasn't the path most movie stars wanted to take in those days, but which worked out very well for him in It Takes a Thief with Fred Astaire, Switch with Eddie Albert, and most famously, Heart to Heart with Stephanie Powers. He opens up about his very special relationships with Natalie Wood and with his current wife, Jill St. John, and his later work in everything from the Austin Powers films to Two and a Half Men to his most recent acclaimed performance as a guest star on CBS's NCIS, on which he's popped up since 2010 as the father of Michael Weatherly's character. It's a performance for which he might well receive a Best Guest Actor in a Drama Series Emmy nomination in July. All in all, this is a -a one-of-a-kind trip down memory lane with a guy who has an amazing memory that stretches back pretty far into Hollywood history, and I hope you'll find it as interesting as I did. Let's go to that conversation. All right, Mr. Wagner. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate thank you very it. much. Scott. To begin with, we always just ask for the record: Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living?
1: Well, I was born in uh, Detroit, Michigan. My father was a uh, a salesman in uh, in Michigan. He was a very successful man. He he uh, was involved with the Ford Motor Company, and he was born in Kalamazoo, so he came up in Michigan, and he was there when the whole automobile industry really took off, you know. He knew the Dodge Brothers and all the Cadillac people and all of that, you know. It was a very exciting time for him. And uh, I was raised there until I was about uh, eight. And then my father moved to California. And I was uh, raised mostly, you know, all of that time out here. And was
0: it coming out here that led to your... Development of uh, an interest in acting, or was that something that even preceded that?
1: You know, I don't know. I don't know because my father was a member of the uh, Bel Air Country Club. This is in the early 30s, you know, and all the motion picture people, you know, a lot of actors there and a lot of uh, people that were involved with the industry. And uh, I just, you know, I sort of, just sort of gravitated to it. You know, I was with all these young kids, and I was also fascinated by the motion picture industry and by how they did it and and at that time you know Westwood Village was very small, they had a couple of theaters there the Fox Theater and the Bruin and I spent most of my time in the movies as a kid you know watching serials and black and white pictures and you know all that and um, I just I just was fascinated by the industry Uh, My my father um, knew uh, a director called William Wellman. He Mm -hmm. was a member of of the club. And he said, you know, I've got this kid that wants to go in the motion picture industry. He wants to be an actor. My folks had nothing to do with Mm theatrics whatsoever. Mm -hmm. My father was now at this time in the steel business and representing companies in the east on the west coast for all of the aircraft industry and all of that. And he was very, uh, he wanted me to come into his business with him. And uh, I had this bug to be an actor. This is what I wanted to do. So William Wellman said, okay, I'll, I'll put him in a picture. I, I've been doing a picture now. And I'll put him in it's a picture with Scotty Beckett. and It was about, it was called The Happy Years. It was about uh, this, this school in the East. And I played a baseball catcher with a mask over my face. You know? <laughs>
0: so that wasn't gonna help.
1: And I, I wasn't getting too much of encouragement of going in the picture right. business because he didn't want me to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Your dad, you mean? Yeah, he. My father didn't want me to do that. So anyway, I did this. I did this picture, and then I, I was, uh, you know, making the rounds and working as an extra, and you know, I was in a, quite a few pictures as an extra. And uh, he said, you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple hundred dollars a month, and. You try it for a year, and if it works, you can do it. If it doesn't, I want you to come in my business, mm-hmm. be involved in my, in, my, in my business." And I said, well, okay. And so I just hit every studio and did readings and all that kind of stuff. And I, was, uh, I knew this guy called Lou Spence, who was a, a jazz pianist and an entertainer. And he was entertaining in this little restaurant in Beverly Hills called the Beverly Hills Gourmet. And I knew this song. I knew this, this parody to it, uh, T for Two. <laughs> and I was singing this song and this agent saw me in there. This the is way. Henry Wilson? Yeah, Henry Wilson. Right. And he saw me in there and he said, geez, you could be pretty good. And he was pretty hot. You know, Henry Wilson had all the young guys and all the young people were, were under contract to him. And
0: I think he was wasn't he Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter and eventually yeah. and all these guys. Yeah, right? Rock,
1: Tab. He had uh, Natalie was uh, one of his clients and uh, he had all of the all of the, all the yeah. young people. He was with uh, Selznick uh-huh. and he gave me his card and of, of course I got to him. He was then at Famous Artists, which was Charlie Feldman's uh, agency, and I signed with them and. Now I started going on the rounds again. And I'd been at Paramount. I had done readings at, uh, at MGM. I was every place. But at Fox, this uh, dramatic coach, Helena Sorrell, she took a liking to me. She gave me this scene. And she convinced uh, Zanuck to, to test me. And they tested me. And uh, do you remember what the scene was? I don't remember the scene. I remember the girl, Patricia Knox, <laughs> I remember mean, her. She was she was terrific, but I don't remember the scene. But he ran the he ran uh, he used to run uh films at night, you know, he'd run tests at night and she was in the projection room and she put put my test up there and, and he ran it and she said I really think he has something. And he said, "Well, I don't know." She said, "Well, let me Would you run it just once again and and uh I just think his smile is so ingratiating, you know? Mm-hmm. And she said, I th- I want to just point out a couple things. And so he said, well, if you think that much of him, Helena, we'll sign him. <laughs> so they signed me to a six-month contract of 75 bucks a week. And you were in the system. And I was in... Business. So, what did that mean at that point when the studio
0: system's still working for people that are trying to maybe imagine what that all entailed the way they develop
1: young stars? What were you now thrown into? The thing is, Scott, at that time, if you could get under contract to a studio, that was a a very big step in the right direction. And, And they had talent scouts out, you know, combing the United States and all of that. The biggest contract studio was MGM, they had the most of the young actors. Warner Brothers had a, had a lot. Columbia had a lot of young actors and Fox had I think there was about maybe 75 of us over there, you know. And we were we were in the business and we could do anything, you know, we could they the, the studio was open to us. So I was all over that place, you know, I was in the editing rooms and the, I was in the movies.
0: They would offer things though like right acting classes and things for the young
1: Everything was available to you. Yeah, fencing, riding. They had a small theater group. They had singing lessons. They had vocal lessons. I went to a wonderful teacher at MGM, a vocal coach uh, called Gertrude Fogler. Wonderful lady, and she, I think, she was brought in there to, you know, help the silent screen stars. Then, you know, Make learn how to speak. And, yeah handle their voices, and she might have been brought in for John Gilbert. That's what I heard, but I I wasn't sure because John Gilbert had a very good voice, you know? I I
0: think that had been the the legend that was not true, right, that that was why he couldn't make the Mm -hmm. jump. But so who, I know that at other studios around the same time, it was the folks like Rock Hudson and Tony Curtis and other people were coming up roughly
1: around the same time as you. Who were the other people at Fox? Well, Rock Rock and Tony mm-hmm. were at uh, Universal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, who were the other ones that were coming up at that time? Uh, Tab Hunter? Jesus, there were quite a few guys. There was quite a few people. And
0: for you at Fox, though, who were there some that you were particularly close with who you were being groomed with?
1: Not too much, you know. I, I kind of had... Uh, I got you know I got some very good breaks at Fox, very good. I got a break doing a picture called "With a Song in My Heart," and uh, Walter <laughs> Lang directed it, and uh, I was, did this scene with Susan Hayward, and uh, you know, I to, it just worked out so beautifully for me. You know, the picture came out, and everybody said, "Who was that guy?" and And we should say you played war veteran, hospitalized with shell
0: shock, and yeah. it was only a few scenes as you say, but it really changed a lot for you, right? They took you
1: more seriously after that? Yeah, well the editing was, you know, the picture was a success. I, I even said, I said to Mr. Zanuck, I said, you know, geez, this is a pretty small part, I don't have a, he said yes, but if it works, people will walk out of the theater and they'll say who was that guy? And that's what you want. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And the young fans, the the wonderful Fans across the nation picked up on me, and uh, I started to hit the fan magazines, and, you know, I was um, the star of the year, and all of that, and and, and Fox was behind me so much, you know, they really, when I went in there, I didn't know anything. I was so green, it was unbelievable. And uh, they took me off the street and taught me how to stand in front of a camera, and every time I had a chance to do a test, I took it. Mm Mm-hmm. I test Marilyn Monroe. I I did her test because she was under contract at the studio at that time. So when she, the test was with her coming about coming to the studio or about testing her to see if they wanted to if they wanted to put her under contract. Yeah, she she did two tests and I did both of them with her. But I I'd I'd do anything. You know, I I was just there to learn how to what it was all about. Did you see any any immediate potential in her? Well, I mean, she was very, very attractive and so sweet and so marvelous. My, uh, my wife, I was married to Marion Marshall, who was uh, under contract at the studio. They were, they were called, Marilyn and, and, and Marion, were called the two M's. <laughs> you know, they used to take us all down to, uh, downtown to the, uh, to the courthouse to have our contracts approved. So a certain percentage went into savings accounts and things like that and they took them down there, they were the two M's. I remember that in the paper, the That's two M's. Great.
0: Now, one of the other things they would do at that time is that if you were a up and comer, they would pair you with another up and comer on these sort of fake dates, right? Did you
1: have a lot of that? Yeah, well, they had the publicity department and uh, one of, one of I can think of is uh, Rita Marino was was under contract to mm-hmm. uh, to Fox. And we went out on several dates together and. You Know they we'd go out and they'd shoot, photograph us, we'd have dinner and they'd put it together and all that. And then she'd go her way and I would go <laughs> mine, you know. What I mean, she, right. she was involved at that time.
0: I so. think I had read or, or seen Laurie Nelson, Deborah Padgett, you yeah, had a whole, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot Laurie, of bad things, Debbie, you, yeah, to yeah. have to I go. Had a lot though. of
1: fun with them, they were great.
0: But what's interesting to me so, 52, you do you have with a song in my heart, then also, right, I, after I think. What Price Glory for John Ford.
1: With yes, that was a very great experience. It worked for him. And you
0: had the departure of the character from the movie was pretty memorable as well, right?
1: Who do you die in the arms of? Oh, yes, that was <laughs> that was so exciting. I died, well, I was a great fan of Jimmy Cagney's. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had known him without being in the picture business because he, ha- he was a great horseman. And I had been around horses all my life and I got a job jogging his his trotters. So I, I had known Jimmy Cagney, and of course I knew who he was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there I am working for John Ford and dying in Jimmy Cagney's arms. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, you I have died it. and gone to heaven. Right, right. I guess that
0: year as well, just to show what a crazy year that must have been, you did the first of these two movies with Clifton Webb. The next was the following year. Stars and Stripes Forever, and then, which was the one that I think you were formally nominated for the Golden Globe, most promising Uh male newcomer, Uh and then Titanic. So, A, what was he like? But B, I think you also started another important relationship
1: in your life out of Titanic. Ah, I think
0: you're referring
1: to the fact that I met Barbara Stanwyck. Right, which, which I don't to? think was really known until you wrote your memoir. No, I didn't bring anything out about that. That was never discussed mm-hmm. until, uh, until I addressed it in my book. And the, she was just such a wonderful woman, and uh, I was so fortunate to have this relationship with her, and she was...
0: Four years. Oh, You said was it was the first great. time you were in love.
1: Yeah, I was really... Uh, that was a... Big, big thing in my life. Great, great time.
0: What do you attribute it to? Because, I mean, I, you were 22, she was 45. That's such a discrepancy. You, but you you really were both extremely into it.
1: Yeah, we were. And um, it was a big thing for me and for my life. Because I think the fact of being in love with an older woman was a tremendous thing for me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she was this marvelous actress and she gave me a lot of um, a lot of confidence in my life and in my work but mostly in my life you know because she cared for me Mm -hmm. and I talked to her about obviously you know if I got a script you know how to do you know ideas about that but for my life for for what she gave me as a human being uh, something that in my heart, and will always be there.
0: And I read in the book you're saying that even something a lot of people instantly recognize you from your voice. If not, even if they didn't see you, they'd know your voice. And part of that, didn't she kind of encourage you to deepen it a bit?
1: Yes, she did. Because uh, when I started and I, and I was young, you know, my voice was pitched up high, mm-hmm. and uh, it was sort of the sort of the thing at that at that time. Anyway, you know. And uh, my diction was not really very good. And uh, she was able to make me realize how to be able to take a sentence or a line and make it work for me. And she was, uh, as I said, you know, she gave me so much. And uh, she really cared for me, you know. And, and I, it was a fantastic time for me.
0: I know she was obviously more than a, much more than a mentor, but in terms of mentor, was Spencer Tracy somebody that really kind of went to bat for you as well, right?
1: Well, yes. I, I was very fortunate to get uh, a picture at Fox called Broken Lance, uh, and that's when I first met um, Mr. Tracy. And uh, I had seen him before because he played a lot of polo and I had horses down there at the Riviera. So I, I'd, I had seen him, you know, but I had never you know, had known him as intimately as I did uh, when we did the picture. And I liked him very much, and fortunately, he liked me. <laughs> and um, he was, oh, he was just marvelous. And then he, he asked for me to be in a picture called The Mountain with him. And that was a big change for me, Scott, because uh, he gave me co-star billing above the title with him. I was loaned out to Paramount. Mr. Zanuck let me go to Paramount mm-hmm. to make the picture. Eddie Demeter directed it, which was... He was also the director on Broken Lands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Europe with them. Well, the first time I went to Europe, I—it it was, it was a, really a big highlight in my life, that period of time.
0: Was that pretty soon after Broken
1: Lance? Yeah, very close after Broken Lands.
0: Because then... Right after Broken Lance, there's this run where I think you were playing title characters for the first time, Prince Valiant for Henry Hathaway and some others. I think people, a lot of people love A Kiss Before Dying, one of the few times you played a bad guy. Um,
1: well, that was a good one for me. And But I guess you... I had a lucky run then, you know? these. I mean, you know this. It is so fortunate. You, got, you have to have a lot of breaks. And I, I was very, very lucky. I got a lot of breaks. That little run right in there was was a big one. This is basically from '52 through the through the '50s, and
0: coinciding with, I guess, the last years of the of the studio system as well. Yes, right?
1: uh, well, you know, then uh, Daryl Zanuck left Fox. He went to Europe, and uh, he was really very much behind me when I was at, under contract to the studio, and he left and. Um, then I decided my contract came to an end and I was with the William Morris office and with Abe Laswogel and he felt that I should move on. I also wanted to go at that time, you know, they were starting to make some great pictures in Europe. And I, I thought, you know, I think I'd like to go to Europe and Natalie and I we we split and that was a very difficult personal time for me. Uh-huh. And my career wasn't going that well and I said, I think it's time for me to Fresh Make a move. And uh, so I went to Europe, did a picture with Steve McQueen called The War Lover. Mm -hmm. And from that, I did The Longest Day for Daryl. And then I I stayed in Europe, and then I got The Pink Panther with Blake. Right. And, uh, I mean, it was just, you know, I I had a great role. I was just just lucky, you know. It was the... The roll of the dice. I just, I just got it. <laughs> um, just jumping back
0: for one second because you know today we live in a society of celebrity obsession, and there's nothing they love more than when two famous people are together. Was it as insane, uh, or, or in different ways insane during the time when you and Natalie first got together, and suddenly you guys were the forget about Brangelina and the stuff today? That was it. Must have felt pretty
1: like in the middle of a whirlwind. Well, it was, it was wonderful. You know, I mean, we were very much in love and Mm -hmm. it was a great time. You know, she had a a wonderful career. You know, she had some wonderful breaks then too, you know, she did West Side Story and then she did, you know, Splendor in the Grass. And, you know, there was some good, she was really, really on a roll and she was so good. You know, she was just, just a wonderful actress. And,
0: but was the media hounding
1: you guys in the way that it happens today? You see, well, not quite as much as today. Yeah. I mean, nothing is quite as much as today. Yeah. It was big in that day, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you came out of a restaurant or something, you know, we knew all the photographers. Would you would you mind if we took a shot? Could we get a shot of you? Could, could you be? Could you stand over there? That kind right, of it was thing more it was more cooperative. Yeah. Well, it was never like it is today. I right. mean, you know, because today with the paparazzi and. I was in Rome when all of that started. I went. To, I was living in Rome when when it started to go. You know, out of what Cleop-
0: was the beginning? Was you think it was Cleopatra?
1: Yeah, I would say that that's a, you know the Via Veneto and all of that. That's when it really started to get ro- rolling.
0: Did you at one time? I think I read somewhere. Did you also date Elizabeth Taylor? Yes, at one point? I did. Uh-huh. And and you had a great line I, about that. That I,
1: was like, <laughs> is that the one where I said? Uh, Looking at her was like putting an egg beater in your brain. I Is think the one so, you're right. And I'm sure
0: dating her couldn't have been a lot. <laughs> yeah, you had to have a lot of concentration. Right? But, <laughs> lo-
1: but I, I loved her, you know, I loved Elizabeth. And I'd met her when I was 14 years old. I mean, for, you know. Is so that I, right? I didn't know. Yeah, and, uh, well, yeah, we were all sort of kids together. But she was a very special lady and a wonderful, wonderful woman. I produced a picture that we both did together. And,. Um, I had the opportunity of working with her, and she's one of the best actresses that I've ever worked with, and probably the most. She's just such a she was just a wonderful motion picture actress. I mean, she could, she could say more with one look and contain more in her in her being. She was really a very special lady. So,
0: throughout the sixties and seventies, there were a number of other very memorable roles, films that people still go back and watch like Harper and towering Inferno and Midway and all of yeah. that but you did something interesting and I wonder what led up to this decision which is that when it was not the direction that people thought was the way to go to go from film to TV now it's what everybody seems to be wanting to do but at the time that that was supposedly not a good direction to go and yet you did it what what went factored into that decision
1: well Scott what happened I was under uh, I was put under a uh, Term picture deal with Universal and uh, Lou Wasserman was running Universal and television was coming on and he said to me, look, I I was down in Brazil directing a movie and and, uh, I got this telegram saying that they wanted me to do this It Takes a Thief, this uh, television series. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh man, this is the end because it's a mid-season start. I went to him They gave me this script. He said, said, It was this simple. He said to me, Here's the script. I think it's great. I think you should do this. I want you to meet Roland Kibbe. He created the character of Alexander Mundy. I think you two guys would get along great. I got Eddie Dimitrik involved Mm -hmm. in it. And we made the pilot. And he said to me, Look, if the pilot doesn't sell, I'll make a movie out of it. But he said, I think this is your, I think you'd be great in this media. He said, "I think this is for you." So I make the pilot. They look at the pilot and they don't buy it. So he makes the movie. Now they look at the movie and they buy it. <laughs> and now I go. Now I go on the air. Right. Mid season, and I think, "Oh, this is going to be the end." Well, it was a big hit. Right. It was the beginning and of this. Whole it was generation. a wonderful character. You know, Alexander Mundy was a, one of the greatest characters that could be designed for television. It's just perfect. It's a perfect character.
0: And we should remain. People, this is espionage kind of comedy, right? This yeah, is... it
1: was it was terrific, and uh, I'd love to do it again. I'd love to play the Fred Astaire part and get some wonderful girl or <laughs> young actor to play to play Monday. But well, let's
0: let's say let's nope. So Fred Astaire played your father, and he was somebody you also went back a long way with. Yes,
1: I did. Yeah, a long way. He he had been sort of a mentor. Yes, very much so. I uh, well, I was telling you about that Hollywood Military Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His son went there too. I used to go to his house on the weekend. I remember Fred Astaire picking me up and putting me in his car. <laughs> I didn't know who Fred Astaire was. Right. I didn't know who Fred Astaire was. Right. He was just great to me. That's awesome. And I, I had a tremendous, marvelous relationship with him in on the golf course, at the pool table. <laughs> I mean, he was one of the most wonderful people. And to have the opportunity, what a break. I mean, what a break That's to great. be able to have met these people. You know, I started one of my uh, my first book. You know, I have those four gentlemen coming down the fairway at the Bel Air Country Club. I was hiding in the bushes. I was about 12 or 13 years old, 12 years old maybe. <laughs> those four gentlemen were Clark Gable, Fred Astaire, Randolph Scott, and Cary Grant, okay? So <laughs> I'm a kid. Good. I'm right. a kid looking at these. Looking, I'm saying, God, <laughs> God could I, if I could be like one of those guys. Right. If I could be like one of them, look what happened. <laughs> I, Fred Astaire, he played my father. Mm-hmm. Clark Gable, I caddied for. He took me to MGM to to make a test. Uh, Randolph Scott was absolutely sensational to me. And Cary Grant was a close friend. <laughs> I lo- can you imagine that as 12 years old and, I, and and my involvement with these? You know, it's like something that came from preordained or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It, it, it's something that's No, it's amazing. And um, I was so blessed. I was so blessed to meet all of these people and have them in my life. I mean, it's just been an amazing adventure.
0: Well so it takes a thief, nineteen sixty eight to nineteen seventy, you get an Emmy nomination. Next T V big thing, I guess, was Switch, right? And the yeah. thing here is this nineteen seventy five, I think it started, story of these two detectives who uh, specialize in conning criminals and in this case you're working with Eddie Albert who you'd worked with on the longest day and yeah. and who was somebody I think you looked up to but yeah. but he was he could be a difficult scene partner right
1: yeah what but was he, the deal? he was great I loved Eddie. <laughs> we had some wonderful times together and uh, his wife was so marvelous and you know, he was a very special guy. We had a good time on that show. That was good. Glenn Larson produced that one, too.
0: But he liked to try and steal scenes. Is that what it was?
1: Well, he was, you know, you had to kind of keep your, you know, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie was a very good actor. I mean, right. he did his thing. Right. I mean, he didn't try to steal him. He just, when the light hit him, you know, he, he on. was on. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the third TV show that I have to
0: ask you about, and probably the one that I'd get killed the most if I didn't, is the one that you did from 1979 to 1984, Heart to Heart. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Hart, a millionaire who also dabbles in detective work. Why was that such a huge hit? Why did people love that so much?
1: Well, it was produced very well by Leonard Goldberg and by Aaron Spelling. It was written very well by Tom Mankiewicz, who really who really is responsible for the show, for the for the character. Mark Crowley was involved in it, who was fantastic writer for relationships, very, you know. I think that the, the reason it worked, I mean, it, it, first of all, it's total plagiarism. It was stolen from the thin man right down to the dog. <laughs> and I, I, that's what I wanted to, you know, that's what I, I talked to them about. I said, I'd like to do a show that I get the feeling out of when I look at Bill Powell and Myrna Loy and I see the thin man. I'd like to do something like that. That's what. That's what we want to go for. And they went for it. That requires chemistry though to work and you had yeah, that with and, Stephanie. And the chemistry Cox. was marvelous with Stephanie. She and I had worked together before. I liked her very much. We our, our styles seemed to work. She was a tremendous contributor she to the to the project and it worked. I mean they thought we were they thought we were married. They thought we were <laughs> together. And we right. did some great comedy stuff together. And she's she's got such a wide range, you know, right. and uh, it worked, you know, and there's nothing, there's nothing greater, Scott, than to have a hit. Right? No, I <laughs> And that, imagine. That, that was a hit. And we had a lot of good writers, and we had a lot of wonderful people on that show. God, we got some great people. And that's what helps it go. I've I, apparently NBC is trying to do
0: a remake in which the couple is a gay couple. Have you heard about this?
1: Yeah, they they asked me about that. What do you th- what do
0: you think? That's a. I mean, some some things Listen. are can be remade in, in different ways. You think it'll work?
1: It might work. I, I the only thing I said to them, I said, "What about Max? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wonder what he'll think." Right, right, right. <laughs> Listen, well,
1: it might work. Who
0: knows? We'll see. So there was. A period of a few years there, and and obviously you write about it, and you just say it was a tough. You didn't work as much, obviously, in the wake of the the tragedy with Natalie. And did you? Was it ever at the point where you were thinking, "I'm not going to continue as an actor," or was it just you needed some time
1: to regroup? No, I never. I, I I've always I've always wanted to be an actor, and that's why I'm still doing it. Yeah, you know because. It's something that I always wanted to do, and i, I really, when Natalie left us, and uh, it was lucky for me that I had work. And Stephanie and Leonard Goldberg, particularly and and Aaron, they were they were very wonderful with me. You know, they were very, and I and I went back to work, and it it really saved me. You know, a lot uh, that and my, and my three children. And uh, I got, you know, I got breathing again. Thank God I had it. Yeah. You and know, I, Thank I know, God I had it. I know you also give a lot of uh,
0: credit to your wife, and you've worked with her a lot as well. I think yeah. seven movies. This is Jill St. John. You've done seven movies and some TV, Heart to Heart, and then also... The yada yada famous episode of the oh, yes. Sein, of Seinfeld. Um, what's you she like? <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> That's right. So, what's it like to work with her? Do you have fun when you do that? With
1: uh, my with you, wife, Jill? Yeah. Well, you know, we worked together uh, uh, at Universal when I was under contract there. I, I knew Jill. I met Jill when she was 16 years old. Seriously, I didn't know that. And we did a few pictures together. We never had anything really, you know, it never. we never clicked, you know. If anybody had ever told me that I'd be married to Jill for 26 years, <laughs> I would say, just not in the books. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just It was so surprising. But life, you know, life. <laughs> Turn some pretty good things on you, and I was so fortunate that she did come into my life, and thank God, you know. Yeah,
0: there's a generation of people who know you only by a number. Maybe that might be the way they were not who not who number were introduced two. to yes. you by a number. I should say. Uh, what do you? Can you I, imagine working all of your life and being referred to as number two? As number two, <laughs> you know. And that's okay. <laughs> just to set the context, and uh, uh, that was just the introduction for them. They've obviously. Grown up with a lot of other things that you've done, but do you know how that happened? That's I did, what I want to ask. Well, I,
1: I did Saturday Night Live. It was my night. Okay. Mike Myers was on Saturday Night Live. They all, you know, they write all these skits and mm-hmm. they stack them all up, and you rehearse for a week. And I did two or three of his two of his skits. I played a gay nurse in one, and you know, it, and he liked he liked apparently liked my works. Mm-hmm. So he wrote number two for me. It hits the door. I read it. I say, "Great, let's." This is terrific. Well, they didn't know really what they had, mm-hmm. you know, at that time. They had no idea. Right. I mean, can you imagine them looking at the the film, the rushes on that? <laughs> on Austin said, Powers, the first on? one. What right. the hell is <laughs> happening? Here? So, I do number two. Look at that. That opened up. A, what a break that was. And it's three gone, of you know, them in the end, right? Yeah. I mean, what a break that was. All of a sudden, this this character. I'm I'm in. I was in France. I was in a little town outside of Paris. I look out the window, and there's about 10 kids out there, and they've got two fingers up <laughs> and holding a patch over their eye. I mean, it's amazing what happens with motion pictures and how they are all over the, all over the world. It, sure. it, you know, I was in—I just did a picture. I was, as a matter of fact, I did some looping for it the other day. Uh, I did a picture with Glenn Close called What Happened to Monday, mm-hmm. and I was in Romania, okay, mm-hmm. And I'm in the I'm in the the lounge leaving to come to fly to Istanbul to Istanbul and and all of these these uh, these girls are saying, Oh, Mr. Denozo. Mr. Denozo that's you <laughs> really? and that's you know, that's the character that I play. Of course, we're you know? coming. And uh, uh, the impact of the motion picture business and and T V now as and well. And T V it it never stops to amaze me. Yeah, it yeah. just never stops to amaze me.
0: It's great. So in the last few years, you've, you've done a, a fair number of these uh, guest appearances on not only NCIS, but also Two and a Half Men and yeah. some other stuff. And I guess before I ask you specifically about particularly NCIS, I just wonder what it's like to be a guest actor and to come into these universes that are already up and running. Is it fun? Is it intimidating? It's
1: intimidating yeah. and very nerve wracking, you it? know, because the, they're so sharp they're so up. they've got it so together and I've had that experience. you know I've been in that position too with Heart to heart right. and these different shows. but when you walk in and you step into that, I mean you know it's like with with NCIS or or, or any of the other ones. I mean uh, they, they, those people they know that character so well it's so well written for them and believe me, for me, yes, it got me very anxious.
0: But even though you've been doing it since like Streets of San Francisco, you've done guest <laughs> appearances for a yes, while, right? Yes, yes. And,
1: but it, it can be fun when it works. It's fun. Oh yeah, it's it's great, and everybody's terrific. It it they they all want you to be absolutely on your on your toes. Right. But when you're working every day and you're doing a series and you're putting everybody is together, they really know their stuff, and you have to be on your toes. You have to really be very, 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 very sharp. And to ax- answer your question, yes, for me, I it's a lot of anxiety. <laughs> not so much anymore. Not like right. with NCIS because, you know, I've been doing it for six years, but and I know them all very well. And that's a marvelous company, and they're great. But so just you
0: know. to remind people, so this for you, it started on NCIS in two thousand and ten. I think you've now done nine episodes, including two in this most recent season. Huh. You play Anthony DiNazzo Senior. The Sort of ne'er do well father of of the Michael Weatherly character, if that's fair mm. to say. Yeah, that's good. So you've
1: said it's the way you've described it. Quote: one of the highlights of my career. Absolutely, the company well, the company is so great, Scott. M- Michael is such a wonderful young man. He's he's so there, and our chemistry worked very well. Uh, Mark, he played you, right? Yeah, Once yeah you he did, did me in a movie. Yeah, so uh, Mark is a wonderful, wonderful man. They run a great company. The people that write it, uh, George Skank and Frank Cardia, I mean, they wrote this character so well. We talked about it a lot. They've written some really, really great things for me and developed this character. And, uh, you you know, the directors are wonderful and the producer is great. It's just been, a, a joy for me to have this in my life.
0: Well, they've given your character some some funny <laughs> predicaments over the years. I think one of them you're found with a found in a car with a dead body. There's all kinds of stuff. And then this season though, the the real, I think meatiest of the two episodes was Reasonable Doubts, right? That episode where you're there with a homeless woman who may maybe more than meets the eye, right?
1: Yeah, that that was I thought that was really so well written and that gave me a great opportunity to be able to let some things out about the back life of Anthony dezo senior which reflected on Tony jr you know on yeah. jr and uh, the, the way it was directed by Tom Wright and it it worked and the lady that played the woman that came up to me she comes up to me and she she Calls me daddy. And it's not so far fetched because you know I, I, I'm, I'm taken by her and she she moves me and she was very very good in, in Marla Walters. She was, she was so very very good in the character and it all seemed to come together. You know, and uh, I'm I'm very proud of it and uh, it was a great opportunity for me and. They all made me look the best I could look and photograph,
0: you know. I know it also meant a lot to Michael that you were part of his last episode at the end of the season finale Mm -hmm. because he's now left the show. Do you, you know, can you shed any light on that one, what that day was like with knowing it was or that uh, making of that episode? That was a
1: very emotional day, Scott. That was a very, very emotional time because he had been on the show for 13 years. That's a long time. I was standing with the uh, cameraman uh, Billy Webb wonderful uh, wonderful artist he is and he uh, he said I probably have done 10,000 shots with you over the over the period of time and you think about it and he probably has yeah you know it's a lot of work and a lot of relationships see all of them they all care for each other it, it's a family and uh, you know they they have great respect for each other and they took me in, and I'm I'm part of it. Yeah. And I'm very proud to be a part of it as well.
0: So just winding down here, I've got to ask you, you've put you've now written two books in the last, I think, certainly in the last decade. Mm-hmm. First one, Pieces of My Heart. Second one, You Must Remember This, both with Scott Amon, who's a, a great historian as well and great mm-hmm. writer. And both of these have been fascinating and really well-received. And I just wonder what it was like for you to go back and in depth revisit all of the history, good, bad, ugly, the, you know, your whole life, and have it sort of flash before your eyes in, in that process? Is it it something was you a enjoyed? hell of a trip, I yeah. can <laughs> tell
1: you. It was very enlightening at times and very sad at other times. Yeah. And uh, it was hard for me. You know, it was difficult to get, to get in. And also, it was very difficult for me to let it go you know, that was a thing that I had never experienced. But it was a whole new thing for me. I'm doing another one now. Uh, we're just going to finish up the manuscript in the next month, and it's coming out. They're going to release it at Thanksgiving time, the Viking. It's called I Loved Her in the Movies. And it's all the leading ladies that I've had the opportunity of meeting, knowing, and working with in my, in my career. And uh, it's an accolade to all of them. I think it's all great. Of them. And I've and I worked with... Some of the greatest women in the world. Well, you were saying before we went on
0: the air that this could go, this will span as far back as as Norma Shearer because you met her during a school vacation. So it's going to go Norma Shearer through, you know, who would be the Glenn Close? Glenn Close, the most recent. Glenn
1: Close is the last leading lady that I I worked with, and uh, she was quite something. I was very, very taken by her. Wonderful lady.
0: Well, I guess the the commonality, obviously, with the three books is that you have a great affection for the days of Hollywood's golden age, which is a very, the world is now a very different place. Hollywood's a very different place. What's your take on the way the industry has evolved or or devolved and where we are today? Just as a parting thought, you know, what's
1: what's your outlook? You know, my outlook is uh, the world is changing not only the motion picture industry, but everything has changed so much, so extraordinarily. You know, as far as as it has affected me, when I started, it was very much more personalized, like everything. You know, and I think that that's one of the things that we're all trying to do is to get it back to meaningful things, have things mean something to you and have people, you know, not have... Be taken for granted, and uh, to have some sense of, of of feelings about what you do and about the people that you deal with, and to not be looking down at the cell phone. And there's a lot of technology that's that has infected all of us, and uh, particularly in the in the motion picture industry, and in some very good ways, in in the industry, the technology, but. Everything has changed, you know. Everything is so quick now. And my God, look what's happening politically in our lives today. I mean, it's 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 really very, very disturbing, you know. If you had, if somebody had painted this picture for you when you were starting oh, out here, it would be hard to believe, never, right? Never would have thought of. It. You know, I never thought. I said to my kids the other day, I have grandchildren, and uh, I said, you know. I I never, I was having this conversation. I never thought that you could take a picture of someone and send it. And in five seconds, they'd get it. And it's not on film. Right. You know? (laughs) And they can get it anywhere. And they can get it anywhere. Right. So, I mean, imagine that. Yeah. And they look at me like I'm, you know. (laughs) Dinosaur, right. No, but that's,
0: I mean, I get it. It's uh, even in, it's it's not, even that stuff is pretty recent. That's not, it's not like that.
1: But, uh, I think the ethics have changed a lot, and uh, and I think it's very. I mean, not that we. Once in a while, you get some some great stuff. You know, it gets. First of all, the work that I've been in, and the, it's magic. It's magic when it works, and to have been involved in it and to have it be, you know, I'm very fortunate because it's something I wanted to do, and I did it. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people, that doesn't happen to a lot of people don't. Get to do what they want to do. I was very fortunate. Very fortunate.
0: Well, thank you for all the great entertainment. Thank you for doing thank this. You, I really
1: appreciate it. Thank you, Scott, very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office.